0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the morning after edition. Yes, when I mean the morning after, I mean the morning after the State of the Union, where Joe Biden told folks he couldn't wait to build a wall to keep vaccines out. I'm not making that. That was actually one of his mumbo-jumbo lines from last night. But listen, it won't be the gaffes that most will be remembered about last night's speech. It won't be Kamala Harris's brown pantsuit. That's not going to be what people remember long term. What's going to be remembered about last night's State of the Union address was it is the night that the Democrats' civil war poured into the streets and into the American consciousness. President Joe Biden gives his first State of the Union address and everywhere around him, in a one-hour moment around that speech, you saw that the president, who was telling the country, I want to have a unity agenda, couldn't even unify his own Democratic Party. What do I mean? Joe Manchin, the moderate, he was sitting with Republicans, the only Democrat to sit with Republicans last night. And an hour before he did that, he put out a statement saying it's hypocritical of President Biden to allow Russian imports to keep coming into this country while not allowing American energy exploration to fill the gap. All right, that's the moderate side. Now we know Joe Manchin hasn't always been on Joe Biden's ticket and platform here. But let's go to the other side. Not one. But two progressive Democrats felt compelled to have counter-programming to give their response, their counter-theory, to the president's speech. Republicans only gave one, Kim Reynolds of Iowa. Democrats gave us two, including Rashida Tlaib. That's a pretty big moment. Now, Cory Bush, the progressive lawmaker from Missouri, in the St. Louis area, she wore a dress designed to antagonize her own president. She's a Democrat. She wore a dress with 18,000, the number on it, saying how many pardons and commutations President Biden had not act on. And he called him out. Now, the president responded back to Cori Bush by saying, we're not going to defund the police. Defunding the police is not the answer. Well, while he was saying that, Democrats on one of the subcommittees in the House Judiciary Committee scheduled a hearing entitled or focused on this subject, this is an exact word, reinventing the police. By the way, that's the new Democratic catchword for defunding the police, cutting the powers of the police. So right as the president said, we're not going to defund police, part of his party was saying otherwise. And if we can go all the way back to last Friday, four or five days before the president spoke, Tulsi Gabbard, a Democratic congresswoman or former Democratic congressman from Hawaii who ran against Joe Biden in the Democratic primary just two years ago. She eviscerated Joe Biden in the era of cancel culture. He has brought in the Democratic Party. Can't even have the unity that Joe Biden is trying to sell that he can bring to America. That, I believe, is what people are going to remember about last night's speech. All right. Now, we've got two amazing guests. First up, Congressman Scott Perry from the great state of Pennsylvania. He is the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and one of the most important rebel rousers and thinkers in the entire Republican Caucus. He's going to be joining us. We're really looking forward to that. And then we're going to have a conversation about the state of energy in america it's very important for us to get a sense of the security and national posture that we're all in so we're going to also take a crack at that i think that's going to be an important conversation so stay tuned a great show ahead lots of news to be had and we'll be right back after this commercial message
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So proud to have this next guest on the show. He's the congressman from the great state of Pennsylvania and one of the most common sense voices in all of Congress. Joining me right now, Congressman Scott Perry. Congressman, great to have you on the show.
2: Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, the world needs uh, truth tellers out there, and uh, you know, just the news is what we want. We can decide what we figure out, what we think about it, but we we need the facts and and not be told what to think. And that's what you provide. We appreciate oh, it.
0: Very kind, thank you, sir. I enjoy doing that. Um, there was a pretty big moment last night. We had a State of the Union, and there were two really shocking things to me. One is how far Ukraine and Russia got away from this president. And then secondly, the president is talking about a unity agenda, but his own party is completely in division among itself. There's a civil war. You got Joe Manchin sitting with the Republicans, Cory Bush wearing a dress antagonizing the president, two counter-programming speeches by Democrats countering their own president's speech. Your thought on those two dynamics as they played out last night?
2: Look, I, I hate to say it. I hate to tell people this if they haven't realized it already. But the Democrat Party that John F. Kennedy belonged to, that uh, Harry Truman led, that, that that party no longer exists. And I think that people, because their, their parents, their family members were uh, members of it long ago, have stayed with it, not realizing what has happened, that, that the party just simply doesn't exist. And uh, and, of course, last night, those are just some of the manifestations of it. And uh, and quite honestly, John, if you listen to the president's speech, with all due respect, just completely disconnected, like literally completely disconnected from reality. Uh, you can't you can't be talking about securing the border or funding the police when when there's been absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's as if he thinks that words make it so. Meanwhile, his actions over that are demonstrable and are striking prove exactly the opposite. And while he may not want the American people to believe that he's been dragged by the socialist wing of of whatever party they now belong to, um, we're we're feeling the effects of it all uh, in every single aspect of our life, whether it's Going to gas pump, whether it's going to the store, whether it's our daily conversations around a coffee pot, uh, whether it's watching TV and uh, uh, the, the events happening unfolding on the world stage, and all of it is bad. And all of it is headed in the wrong direction. There's literally, they, as far as I could tell, there wasn't one accomplishment pointed to last night after this period of that's, time within the president. Right?
0: He could. There was nothing he could point to as a success. I guess he may have, for a moment, flicked at the um, the uh, infrastructure bill and the bipartisan vote on that, which was very mild partisan vote, But he really had nothing to tell America. They accomplished all he had was, "Hey, there's a lot of crises that have suddenly hopped up not my watch." And if you're sitting in that audience and you're Mon Joe Sixpack in in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, what do you take away from this president? Uh, you're just not better off than you were a year ago, are you?
2: I don't see how you can be, and I think that most people that were interested in watching were looking for for some sign that things were going to be different, something that made sense to them, you know, telling us that you're for energy independence and energy dominance, where the first thing you do on day one, yeah. is cancel the Keystone pipeline, cancel all drilling on federal lands, continental shelf. Uh, and, and no permitting of LNG, no pipeline permitting, no rail transportation of LNG, no exporting of, uh, of, uh, of of liquid natural gas. And at the same time, while there's a war in Ukraine, we're literally bringing in millions of barrels of oil from Russia every single day. And we have zero. There's literally no plan to stop that, by the way, there's no matter what they say. People look at that and they say, wait a minute, I'm paying a dollar fifty more a gallon every time. I, I got to go to work or take my kids to a soccer game or, or to some school event. And I didn't hear anything that tells me that any of that's going to change. As a matter of fact, I was told that, you know, that uh, this uh, bipartisan, one, if you want to call it a victory, this bipartisan infrastructure bill, that now I, I'm forced to buy an electric vehicle that I can't afford, that is not supported, uh, and um, and is not very efficient either in in energy use or in climate concerns. So I don't know what what do I grab onto here? Why do I continue to support this guy, this party? And I think that's the question most people have on their minds the day after. Yeah,
0: you and I were talking offline, and I, I think most Americans are still getting educated, but they're getting a sense of this. Russia is fighting Ukraine over geopolitical energy interests and and here we are in america sitting on perhaps the greatest wealth of energy that could change the entire world and this president is restraining it constricting it while meanwhile allowing vladimir putin to get more and more dollars for his oil um joe manchin issued a statement last night directly criticizing his presence just an hour before the speech he then sat with republicans this is all about energy right this current war is energy and it was unleashed by this president isn't that true
2: it really it really is about energy people maybe they don't realize that as i told you john no one in ukraine russia china in in western germany nobody anywhere in the world's fighting over windmills and and solar panels <laughs> yes. they're fighting over the real energy that the real world uses and i'm not saying that those other things aren't worthy of consideration but when you get down to it this is the stuff that drives economies and And by, by his policies, by President Biden's policies, not only destroying the American economy and really putting the squeeze on average citizens that are just trying to get by, he's also completely opened the door for Russia to do this. Every single day, $65 million get poured into the war machine of Vladimir Putin by the United States alone. While while literally he's uh, at the at the podium asking us to support Ukraine, so we're supporting the enemy at the same time we're being asked to support the friendly, and and between that and his rhetoric that basically said, go ahead Russia, we're not going to do much if it's just a small incursion. Well, uh, I don't know who thinks a small inc- a, a burglar breaking down your door and walking in the front door and just yeah taking they would take the TV right yeah. you're still victimized. yeah yeah that's that. that <laughs> That's a horrific violation uh, uh, for anyone. And so uh, the only person more responsible for uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, you know, other than Vladimir Putin, is, is Joe Biden. It's just a remarkable moment. And I think, you know, and, you... and he spent all this time. And look, Ukraine's a huge issue. Um, he spent as much to, but if he have spent as much time talking about defending America's borders and actually doing it, yeah. um, I think that, you know, there would have been, uh, there would have been some curiosity about what might change, but he literally said we need to defend America's borders and then kind of moved on acting yeah. like the policy that he's, uh, that he's promoted for the last year hasn't invited 2 million people to cross illegally and absolutely nothing's been done about that. So tough talk is meaningless. I mean, right now there are war crimes in being committed in in ukraine and that's per open source reporting that wasn't mentioned at all last night so i think people are tired of the you know the talk but without walking you know the talk is cheap if you're going to talk the talk you got to walk the walk
0: yeah that's really an important uh, part of it there's a poll out that shows 78%, and I can't remember it ever being higher than this in my life, 78% of Americans are dissatisfied with uh, where the country is headed. That, that's that been achieved in just one year by Joe Biden. Blaine. There seems to be a sense that the world has uh, been lost control of, right? Our border is insecure. Our city crimes are, uh, are raging with violence. Um, our uh, our world is now aflame with, you know, something that some people fear could be World War Three. What can Republicans do in the short term to uh, show America that uh, this chaos can be brought under control, that common sense can be prevailing, and that America still is the strongest, most powerful country in the world?
2: John, I'm so happy that you asked the questions. Here's what I think Republicans must do. We must show a striking alternative to this crazy activist, radical left-wing policy and that means we can't just say, "Look how awful they are. Vote for us. We need to stand for something affirmatively and show how we would be markedly different. not just that we're not as bad as them, but we're actually better than them and and Of course, one of the my frustrations, and I think it's the frustration of many in Congress is we just don't do that. I know we don't have the majority, and we can't move bills. we can't have hearings we you know we can't make people vote on certain things but we certainly can go out and say these are the things we stand for and and you know you're going to anger some on the left uh, and they're probably not going to vote for you but you know what John they're never going to vote for us anyhow and so we shouldn't spend our time trying to win friends that we're never going to have and lose all the friends that we currently do have and the Republican party to me uh needs to step up and say this is what we're going to do if you elect us. And tangible things, look, you know, even if we win the majority in the House and the Senate, we still will not have the presidency. The courts are still gonna be against us, and certainly the media is gonna be against us. But so many times, how many times, John, you worked on the Hill, how many times did you hear, well, we're not gonna pass that bill because the Senate won't vote on it, or the Senate won't vote for it. We're not in the United States Senate. We're in the House of Representatives. We need to say say what we, we need to plant the flag. This is what we stand for and put pressure on the Senate to stand for the right thing too and let the American people know where we are, whether it's inflation, whether it's crime, whether it's the border, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's policing, all those things, we need to take a very strong and public stand on and say, this is what you will get if you vote for us.
0: Yeah, really remarkable. Uh, There is more saber rattling in Eastern Europe today with Russia keeps referring to nuclear, 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 nuclear weapons, nuclear war. Uh, I think some of this is probably posturing uh, from the intel sources I'm talking to, uh, because the internal dynamic in Russia is not good for Putin right now, so sounding tough may help him. But what should we be watching for over the next two weeks to judge where the Russia-Ukraine conflict is? And what are the intelligence communities telling members of Congress about where this war is headed?
2: Well, I will tell you, I think that we have to uh, be very careful and very cautious about just discounting that. It seems to me that the narrative thus far is, is that Russia moved into Ukraine, Putin moved into into Ukraine because he was paranoid about NATO and I just did that didn't add up to me because NATO's never done anything really yeah, meaningful right so 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 it might really be that uh that Vladimir Putin is hearing these paranoid voices and he do, absolutely does want to reconstitute the soviet union and he's even said as much and i think we need to start listening to the things that he says and and take them seriously so with that in mind um i i think that we just need to be on a heightened state of alert and we really need to start thinking about what our priorities not only from an energy standpoint are john but from a national defense standpoint china's sent hypersonic missiles around the globe now Uh, russia's announced that they've already got hypersonic capability what is our missile defense system in the United States of America regarding hypersonic uh, deterrence? Do you know, John? We
0: know. it's never been articulated, right?
2: That's, that's exactly right. And so uh, this is a dangerous world. And when you've got a person that is desperate, and I think as Ukraine drags on, as Russia is further isolated, as their economy continues to uh, to to uh, to be decimated by the decisions that he's made in the international community's decisions in response to that, I think he becomes more isolated, more des uh, more desperate, and more willing to lash out. And you know, uh, a rat is a small animal that uh, that isn't much of a challenge or much of a threat to anybody until you get it in a corner. And uh, so, I just think we need to be hyper vigilant about this and really start looking at. This is the world of reality, John, not the world that we wish it were, but the world that is. And and while I think many of my colleagues on, quite honestly, both sides of the aisle like to live in the world that they wish it would be, we have to start acting like we're living in the world that exists right in front of us.
0: Yeah, no, it is so, so important to assess the real facts, not the spin, not the wish world that we live in. And I think a lot of things last night were in the speech just... Wishes that have no chance of happening, right? BBB is not happening. Uh, the voting right. rights legislation is not going to happen. Uh, but six dollar gas could be happening, right? Or five dollar gas could be happening. Yes,
2: but uh, five dollar gas is right around the corner, and if this continues. Uh, You know, cutting off Russia's uh, selling of oil to us and the rest of the world. First of all, that needs to happen. But but we're acting like we can't replace it ourselves when we can. Now, it takes time. You don't just turn on the switch of a well that's been shut off for a year and a half. But we should be working on it right now. Uh, Wendy Sherman told me today in a hearing, you know, she reiterated to me and condescended to me that all options are on the table. And I tried to remind her that these prices went up a dollar and a half long before Ukraine was invaded by Russia. This is their policy. And, the, and, and, and apparently the only reason that the items, these, these things are on the table is because Russia invaded Ukraine. So the fact that Americans are suffering under the yoke of these increased prices, shortages, and general malaise in their economy with forty-year highs on inflation is just because Joe Biden says it's so. Yeah,
0: it's unreal. You can't you can't wish the world to what it is to be. You have to react to the realities, and we're we're clearly in that place. Last question: the next couple of yeah. months. Obviously, Kim Reynolds gave the Republican response yep. last night. What do Republicans do to make sure that Americans? understand the alternative difference on every subject that matters to them, what Republicans are offering versus uh, what Democrats are offering.
2: Americans, uh, the Republicans need to go out and talk to their neighbors, uh, the citizens that are working hard and suffering under these circumstances, and be unafraid to tell the truth. So many Republicans say one thing out on the campaign stump and then then come to Washington, D.C. and do another thing totally unacceptable. They need to go out and own the things that they believe in, the things that the base believes in. And then they need to be willing to come back to Washington, D.C. or their state capitals and actually force the votes on them, whether it's election integrity, whether it's energy security, whether it's policing, whether it's the border. We need votes. We need to we need to see who's with us and who's not with us. So that the American people can make a choice. And I know that many politicians don't want to have those votes because they don't want to be in that position. But you can't run from John, you know, the saying you can't run from what you ran for. So voting is your job. Let's vote on things and show the American people what we stand for.
0: Yeah, that is a key. Americans are looking for a clear difference from the chaos they just inherited with Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's important for conservatives to give them that difference. Congressman, it's always an honor to have you on. We always learn a ton of stuff from you and uh, get some great wisdom. I can't wait to get you back on real soon.
2: Thanks so much. You have a great day.
0: God bless you and your audience. You as well, sir. Thank you so much. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that energy crisis right after this message. of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JustNews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As promised, a very special guest. Joining us right now is the executive director of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, Patrick Hedger. Patrick, great to have you on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Before we get started, I'd like just to introduce, for those who may not have heard the mission of protecting taxpayers, what the Taxpayers Protection Alliance does, tell us a little bit uh, about what your group does and how it really helps people in this great country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan taxpayer and consumer watchdog organization based in Washington, D.C. So we're focused on all things uh, economic policy and government accountability, making sure that uh, Washington isn't wasting your money and not taking more money from you than they need. Um, And also making sure that uh, new rules and regulations and legislation doesn't interfere uh, unnecessarily uh, with consumer products and the consumer experiences. So all around government watchdog group.
0: Yeah, and does a lot of great stuff, folks. If you haven't seen their website, it's fantastic. Protectingtaxpayers.org. Go check it out. Uh, Patrick uh, Hedger and David Williams, a president who I've known for a long time, doing really important work trying to protect Your hard-earned dollars from government malfeasance. It's really great work there all the time. All right, let's jump into the uh, the conversation of the day. We obviously have the State of the Union tonight. We also have this extraordinary conflict that has now broken out in Eastern Europe: Russia versus Ukraine. Now, Belarus may be involved. Cyber attacks were the warning sign that Russia was about to invade, they hit Ukraine maybe 24, 30 hours before the actual invasion. How concerned should Americans be that these cyber attacks may extend now to Western partners or even the United States?
1: Yeah, they should be very concerned. We're already seeing reports, uh, unconfirmed right in the fog of war. Everything is, uh, take everything with a grain of salt, but we're seeing reports that Germany is experiencing problems within its electrical grid. Um, and so we should be very concerned. And, and, and there's
2: the,
1: as soon as it was clear that the invasion was going to happen, I think it was just after uh, Russia began to occupy those two breakaway regions in the Donbass, uh, the FBI uh, reached out to basically every major business uh, in the United States uh, and every major cybersecurity player saying, button everything up, tighten everything up. Uh, we expect that this is a low friction way of Russia to kind of get back at the West Uh, for the sanctions uh, and the military aid to uh, Ukraine. So, um, you know, it's a new type of warfare. There's a lot of questions about what constitutes uh, an an actual, you know, war-like attack in cyberspace. So the first thing Russians are gonna do is is try to sow chaos as much as possible uh, to distract from uh, what's going on over there.
0: Pretty remarkable. And under the NATO alliance, the Article 5 trigger for uh, NATO coming to the defense of a NATO member country. Would a cybersecurity attack potentially qualify as a justification for kicking NATO into protection?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, at, at some level, there's still some questions about that. There's actually uh, this week there's a, an event called State of the Net going on here in Washington, D.C., and that's a question that's been posed to some members of Congress. And, and it's an open ended question because the, the, the range of a cyber attack can be uh, anywhere from an annoyance to causing loss of life. Right. Um, and so it, may, it remains to be seen, um, you know, what would w- if a nation suffered a cyber attack that was so detrimental that, it, you know, you know, shut off power to a hospital or something like that, um, that uh, you you could see a world where Article five gets invoked. And, and yeah. we don't really want to get to that point. No, we um, don't. That's why. Yeah, we want we are. That's the last thing that we want is to have a, a cyber attack, you know, provoke a larger war, which is why it's so important for a societal wide effort to be put in place for cybersecurity and for the government not to undermine them.
0: Yeah, now we often hear about cybersecurity in the U- United States in our defensive posture, which is we're trying to stop attacks, we're trying to protect people. And so that's a good thing. But we also have developed, we haven't deployed them very often, but we also developed offensive cyber weapons. Is this the sort of moment in history where we might see some of those surface in a more uh, robust way than maybe in past history?
1: Yeah, that's certainly possible. Um, one of the most notable examples of an offensive cyber attack, and most believe it was a, a combination of, of Israeli and U.S. Right. Uh, technology, was the Stuxnet attack against uh, uh, excuse me uh, Iranian nuclear facilities, and that that took those facilities offline. Um, so that's there are definite cyber weapons in America's holster. Um, it remains to be seen. You know, a lot of it is clandestine, so you right. will see. Attacks and, and you know hacker groups might take credit for it, but in reality, it could be uh, you know, U.S. operations doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. we probably hide our uh, hide our role or make it uh, difficult to do. Uh, Homeland, the FBI started warning last week that in conjunction with the war in Ukraine that we might start to see attacks here as you said germany's already seeing it how much has american cybersecurity defenses improved and how vulnerable what sort of vulnerabilities do we still have you guys study this really well uh, how vulnerable are we are we getting a little bit
1: better yeah um you know it, it, it's constantly like a catch-up game right um you know it's 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 very much so a ratcheting effect it, when you when you cover one area and defend one area the you know the the target shifts and the technology evolves um so far you know there are some really interesting things that have been put in place i would say uh, in the private sector in terms of our smart devices, things security's gotten a lot better um, because our smart devices like your iPhone has moved away from um, what we see with like a laptop, right? Which is you can download whatever you want from the open internet and that, you know, everybody knows that, you know, you download a, Song or a file from a random website, you could very easily expose yourself to malware or virus. Um, that's become hard to do on a lot of Americans' personal devices through design, um, by design, by Apple and Google yeah. and some of the other smart device producers. So that's a that's a huge uh, benefit in terms of cybersecurity. Um, where we're vulnerable right now is that we have a labor shortage, and the labor shortage is not just waiters at restaurants and 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 folks stocking shelves. It's it's cybersecurity professionals as well. Uh, as late, late last year, the CEO of Microsoft said about a third of all cybersecurity job positions in the U.S. are, are vacant right now. Wow, and that's, that's uh, amazing.
0: You think in an economy where people want to get a good job and we can't fill those?
1: Yeah, and, and, and increasingly we're not you know we're not directing students into into career paths that uh, provide those skills. Um, we we need more we need more kids getting uh getting interested in, in computer engineering and software engineering and cybersecurity, and uh and and increasingly you're, you know we're going to need to maybe import some of that labor as well you know and uh because that's a huge vulnerability imagine if imagine if a third of of, of police department jobs or, or uh, you know, army positions were, were, were vacant, that's, that's kind of what we're looking at.
0: Yeah, we sure are. It's almost mind numbing to, to think about it. And a lot of people don't think the State of the Union is in a very good shape. The polling over the weekend showed President Biden down to a 30% approval rating, which is quite low after one year in office. What is the true state of this country in term, particularly in terms of economics, its budget, its deficits? How vulnerable are we to the great threats of China wanting to replace our currency as a world currency and us uh, imploding under the weight of enormous debt?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, the biggest thing right now is that the government needs to stop rocking the boat. Right. We have enough external factors rocking the boat from from the lingering effects of the pandemic to uh, now this war, you know, potentially wider war breaking out in Europe. Um, And and that's really problematic because you also have business owners concerned about what's the next tax what's the next spending bill that's coming down the line that's going to raise my costs or make it harder for me to do business Um, the biggest thing you know the health of the economy is is the certainty of business owners and so everything that the government can do to increase the certainty of business owners is a positive but when you talk about new trillion dollar spending bills new taxes to cover those things and 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 then the uh the, the the inflationary pressures that come with those types of policies, and even just talking about those types of policies, that creates a really unhealthy economy in terms of business owner certainty. So while there might be a lot of jobs available, there might be a lot of cash flowing around, um, people still feel like they can't plan for the long term. And that's what really creates a big problem.
0: Yeah, such an important point to make. Any doubt in your mind that energy prices are going to go up and that's going to toughen inflation over the next few months?
1: There's no doubt. Um, it's 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 baked in at this point, and and I think a lot of the price increases that we saw leading up to the crisis that we're in right now um, were anticipatory, right? I mean, the the, the issue with inflation is that it's sort of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's very much so a psychological problem, uh, and while there are policies that cause it for sure. Um, when you when you pursue those policies, pe- people begin to be expect inflation and business owners, they're not stupid. And they think, well, uh, we expect inflation to be coming. So we're going to start raising our prices in order to cover our bases. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it's a it's a it's a vicious cycle that you get into. Certainly, energy prices are going to go up basically to try and provide a security cushion for for energy providers. Um, But increasingly, as we come out of the pandemic, there's just more demand for aircraft fuel car fuel things like that sure is
0: yep there's no doubt it's a remarkable dynamic and tugging war demand versus supply what do you think americans want to hear from president biden what's the message they would love to hear they may not get it but they love to hear
1: yeah, uh, I think what they would love to hear is that we're going to stay the course, we're going to continue to open back up, and uh, we're not going to pursue any more large expansions of federal programs and federal spending. I think, they would, uh, I think they would like to really hear some stability. I mean, President Biden got elected without a major congressional mandate and, and, and has acted like he's FDR, um, and that's just, you know, that's not what Americans voted for. Uh, they voted for stability. Uh, they wanted it boring. And he's he hasn't provided boring and um, and that. So ultimately, the less is more if I was advising the Biden administration. But unfortunately, Democrats seem to only have one type of bullet in their holster, and that is more spending and more regulation.
0: You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say less is more seems to be what they want. And you said that's uh, such a Prussian thing. Uh, I want to take us back to where we started this conversation. Last question a few months ago, just before the uh, holidays, the Justice Department in Detroit brought an indictment against two Iranian gentlemen uh, that they had managed to hack into the state voter systems, at st- uh, one state's voter systems, and uh, download more than a hundred thousand. Uh, voters' voter file information, their privacy protected voter file information. Right after the 2020 election, we heard from people like Chris Krebs, who was then the head of cybersecurity for the government, we're great, nothing happened. We now know there was a pretty grievous uh, intrusion on the election systems. As we look out, how concerning is that from a cybersecurity standpoint? And do you think states and the federal government are doing enough to protect future voting from intrusions?
1: I mean, it's always concerning. I'm mostly concerned from a cybersecurity perspective and leading up to elections in terms of misinformation that's being put out there. There's nothing more than than our adversaries want than to sow chaos and they don't really care who wins. Right. As long as we're at each other's throats, that's that's a win for our adversaries. Um, So I get concerned from that. Uh, I get concerned about voter intimidation and things like that. But I don't think the federal government's moving in the right direction on cybersecurity at all. A lot of the bills that we're seeing right now that are being pushed in order to whack big tech um, are going to carry unintended consequences for cybersecurity. And, and we've got to put our side, put aside our frustrations with big tech and realize that it's not worth sacrificing the security protocols that they put in place in order to get even with them for whatever, whatever grievance we have, whether we're on, we're on the left or the right. You've got, you know, Senator Klobuchar and, and Republicans joining her. With bills that would make our personal devices and and the systems that, you know, voting systems, everything that runs on the back of 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 the hardware that tech companies are producing less secure. Um, And and that is it's certainly not something we should be doing right now. It's not something we should be rushing to do. Um, And uh, that, but that's what's happening. And and I'm really concerned about that uh, heading into a future where China is going to feel emboldened uh, and Russia is still going to be causing problems.
0: Yeah, and China's watching this entire Russia-Ukraine thing play out because they're going to take a lot of their leads from the way America navigates this. Patrick, amazing work. Again, how can folks check out the work you're doing at the uh, Taxpayers Protection Alliance?
1: Yeah, sure. Just go to protectingtaxpayers.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Protect Taxpayers with the one T in the middle. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can keep up with keep up with us there.
0: Yeah, you guys are doing amazing work. I check the site often. And I think, uh, folks, if you're listening, it's a great place to check out and see your tax dollars, what's really going on with them. Patrick, an honor to have you on. Can't wait to get you back on soon.
1: Hey, anytime.
0: It was a real pleasure. All right. Thanks so much. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way
1: car buying should be.
0: All right, folks, thanks for joining us today. Welcome back from the final commercial break. We're so grateful you joined. Great conversation with Congressman Scott Perry, chairman of the Freedom Caucus in the House, a congressman from Pennsylvania, somebody who is really, I'd call him part of the, He's the chairman of the Common Sense Caucus. He really tries to boil down all of the insanity and fakeness in Washington and try to get real with American people. And that is always a fun interview as a journalist. All right, before we go, my good friends at Wild Alaskans Company are always offering here at just the news at john solomon reports an extraordinary offer so you can take advantage of their unbelievable seafood i just grilled out last saturday we had a whole bunch of different salmon sockeye and other salmon that we got in our latest box from Wild Alaskan. It was amazing. You know the thing I kept hearing? After I I sat at the grill, we cooked it out. We got at the table, and I just kept, will someone pass me some more fish? Will somebody pass me some more fish? I love it. I've been eating more fish than ever because it's healthy, and when you get it from Wild Alaskan Company, it is 100% satisfactioned guaranteed. It is fresh. It's freeze-dried. And how do you get in on this great deal? Get a box a month. Join the program. It's really simple. Right now, you can get $15 off your first box of wild caught seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash just news. Let me give you that again. wildalaskancompany.com slash just news. You're going to get $15 off your first box. That is a steal. Go do it. Start your spring, because by the way, spring is coming right around the corner, right after St. Patrick's Day, my favorite Irish holiday of the year. We're going to have spring. What should you be doing when spring starts? Eating more seafood, grilling out, having the family over, Mm -hmm. whether it's prawns, halibut, cod, or of course, my favorite salmon. Go check out my good friends at Wild Alaskan Company at the wildalaskancompany.com slash justnewsurl. That's how you're going to get, you ready? 15 bucks off your first box of fish. That is a savings you can't get at the grocery store. And by the way, you're not going to get nearly as good a seafood as what you get from Wild Alaskans. So check these guys out right away. And when you support them, remember, you're supporting our journalism. You're supporting our news. All right, so grateful you can join us. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports and a conversation tomorrow about two things. Was election integrity a big lie like Democrats said? I'm going to prove otherwise maybe 24, 25 times, I'm gonna prove it. And we're gonna have a conversation about the state of the media with two people who like myself have jumped in to create new news organizations to fill the gap as the corporate mainstream liberal media has abandoned their rightful position to be honest brokers of facts and news and gone on to be propaganda and political folks. Joe Curl, former editor of the Drudge Report, there's something that's gone off the rails. He now has his own aggregation site called Off the Press. And Michael Patrick Leahy, who has created not one, not two, not five, not ten, 11 state news organizations for centrist conservative Americans to get state news that they can trust, just like you get the news from just the news every day. Both of those gentlemen joining us tomorrow. You're going to want to tune in. We're going to learn a lot. All right, folks, until tomorrow, God bless you. and God bless this extraordinary country in the United States. And thank you for listening to John Solomon reports the podcast from just the news. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane, like a tick bite.